This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome back to the 11th episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. As always, we're very appreciative of all the downloads of the podcast. And we're very appreciative of people participating on the Facebook page. Uh, this is a landmark episode here because I have a brand new co-host. And his name is Jason Johannes. And Jason, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us about, about yourself and, and where you're from and what you're all about. Excellent. Hey, thanks, Brian. And again, thanks for having me on here to, to give you a hand. Really excited about the opportunity. Um, my name is Jason Johannes, music lover. Uh, I am right now outside of Columbus, Ohio. I'm from the Midwest. I'm originally from the Cincinnati area, and that's kind of where I grew up loving music, um, rock music, metal music, and southern rock and blues as well, too, as I got from influences from my dad. Um, I am in a band, a local band, that we play mostly around the Dayton area, not so much around Columbus, called Ghost Town Silence. Uh, we don't really have a set style. We're we're a little bit more of a we're called an Americana rock band, a little bit in the Tom Petty vein, but we we cover a little bit of everything, mostly original. So, if you want to check us out? We're on Facebook, Reverb Nation, and Bandcamp. Again, that is Ghost Town Silence. Just um, know, I'm just a big big music fan. I love to talk about it, learn about new music, and, and Brian, the opportunity to kind of hear to to learn about some artists and and really grow my um, experiences with some new music. And talk to some people and see what's what's going on and what's all about with them. So, um, again, I'm you know I'm a, I'm a big music fan. I'm a I'm a rookie I'm a rookie podcaster. I've been on a, a few podcasts though. Of the state of America, it's the Black Crows podcast, the number one Black Crows podcast in the world. Shout out to David and Ian on and that group. And I've been on a couple other podcasts related to those guys as well too, like Video Killed the Radio Star and a couple other ones. So um, while I'm not traditionally a host, I have been a guest and I hopefully. Brian, I'll add a little bit, uh, a little bit of help here, and a little bit of color to what you're trying to get done. And I thank you for joining, joining the podcast. That means a lot to me. And you know, of course, you mentioned uh, State of America, and you know, David, he, he's the one who I went to when I was trying to find someone, and he pointed me in your direction, and and here we are. You know, I always ask guys that are musicians like what what their scene is like and where they play. So what you know, you say around Columbus and Dayton. 
uh, what, what's, you know, of course, pre COVID, you know, yep. what, uh, what's your take on the scenes there? What, uh, how many bands, it's a good scene, healthy scene, vibrant, you know, what kind of music? Um, you know, so really two different types of, of scenes, to be honest with you. And a couple of reasons we play traditionally in Dayton a lot more. One, we started the band when I was in Dayton, Ohio. And so that's really where we grew. And two, Dayton, Ohio has a really great independent music scene to the point of the main bars and the main areas of town. They will book original bands, original music bands to come in and play on the weekends. They are not looking for those party cover bands unless you're kind of going to a cheesy club or something. So they, you know, they have a great history of independent artists and, and, and musical artists coming through Dayton. Um, you know, uh, the Deal Sisters from the Breeders and the Pixies, for sure. Um, you know, there's just there's just been a lot of different people and a lot of groups that come in that come out of Cincinnati as well, too. So Dayton is a great place. They're super supportive of the local music scene, do a lot of promotion with it. It's great. Columbus, Ohio, you know, it's a bigger city, a more urban city, more and more, um, I guess, you know, you know, current event city. You don't get a whole lot of in, indie playing out of there. You know, you've, you've got Ohio State and all this other stuff. You think the independent music scene would be the original music scene would be great. It's really not. They are looking for a lot more cover bands or national acts to come through as well, too. So we play in Dayton a lot more because we started there and they're super supportive. Um, I've been in that band like 14 years now. So we've had a long history. We've got three albums out. We're currently writing number four. And like it's nothing but love and support from from that town. And like we just we keep going back to it. Right on. Right on. Well, of course, we need to talk about the Black Crows because that's <laughs> that's the, the spot where we all keep coming back to. I mean, that's, you know, I got influenced to do this because of the State of America podcast. And, you know, uh, you're certainly our uh, Black Crows fan. And it just seems like that they open the door for so many other bands. And it's the music that's just been the central thing for all of us. So do you talk about the Crows a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the Crows are my favorite band of all time. And I actually, if you guys could see me, I'm wearing a Black Crows shirt. On right now from the tour that was supposed to happen this year, I still bought the merch and had it sent to me. But, you know, when I kind of growing up and where I was when the Crows hit the scene, I was way into metal, uh, hair metal, like Megadeth, Metallica, Aerosmith, all that. And when the Crows hit, man, that really spoke to me from just from what they were putting out, the style of music that they were doing, from the stuff that influenced me when when I was growing up with my parents who were playing stuff like like Clapton and and some other bands that sort of kind of led to, to what these guys were trying to do. Derek and the Dominoes, for sure. Um, so when I heard the Crows, I was like, man, this this style of music, this is great. It's fresh, but it's a little bit old. Um, it just it just really spoke to me, and they've been my favorite band um, ever since. So like my my top two are the Crows and Zeppelin. And what happened later on in the '90s, the Crows and Jimmy Page got together too, and it was like Valhalla to me. I had tickets mm-hmm. for the Cleveland show, and Jimmy breaks, busts his back, and I can't go. Biggest mm-hmm. musical regret that I have in my entire life is I did yeah. not get to see that. Yeah. Well, you know, either he he, oh, he did have the back thing, but it, depending upon you know like what people believe or <laughs> not, the book. in Gorman's book, yeah, so. Um, Which would be a real kick in the kick in the uh, you know what if that's yeah. what drew, comments like that drove that that partnership apart because that's right. just it hurts me it hurts me not having been able to see that show. <laughs> How many shows have you seen or? Oh, the crows. Yeah. Um, 
Man, I tell you, I probably at 15 or 16 for sure. I started seeing those guys in the late 90s uh, when I was in college, getting out of college, and then um, picked them up after hiatuses as well, too. So I really, the first time I saw them was on the Buyer Side Tour, which is funny because that is actually the album review I did on the State of Amora podcast with David and Ian because I had a pretty good tie to that. But started seeing them around 98, 99. And just anytime they've come around ever since, I've certainly gone out and seen them. I've seen like the Magpie Slute. I've seen Rich Solo. I've seen CRB. So I've even been kind of supportive of, of the side projects and other things that they've done as well, too. So if you take all Crows related um, uh, bands, I'm probably 25, 30 shows in with, with people related to that group. Right on. I'm just under 20. I think I'm in 18 shows of the Crows. Haven't seen, never got to see Magpie or CRB or Rich. Never went out of my way, I guess. I should say. Yeah, I saw so two two years ago in Columbus. Um, it was only one of two shows, but Blackberry Smoke and the Magpie Salute played together. They did really? Maryland, you were at that show, and they did Columbus. Yeah, I brought my whole family, so I brought my wife and my two teenagers, and like we're gonna wow. go and we're gonna see what rock and roll is all about. So Dude, that's my awesome. son and I were loved it. My daughter and my wife got a little tired towards the end, but you got to show, show you got to show the new ones what it's like. Is that what show was that where they played? Uh, can't you hear me knocking as the encore or Fat Man in the Bathtub? Fat Man in the Bathtub, if I remember correctly. Although I saw the Magpie like a week before that in, in Cincinnati play, and they could have played it there. So, But Fat Man in the Bathtub sounds right. They also played um, Every Story uh, Tells Every, every picture, picture Tells a tells Story. story yeah. yeah. Right on, right on. Um, so besides uh, the Crows, uh, who? what other Southern bands like strike your fancy? Oh, great question. I, I'm, so, again, a genre I love um, a lot. Uh, Tedeschi truck bands, for sure. Like, if you're talking about recent um, music, Blackberry Smoke, who's probably my favorite band that's right now out there performing live. And I know you're a big BBS fan. Those guys yes. those guys are just awesome. Like, they can, they can do anything. And my dad and I are both Blackberry Smoke fans, too. So I've gotten him into that band as kind of a, a thanks for all the stuff he got into, me into when I was younger. Um, I like, so, you know, um, current bands, I get a lot of flack for this. I do like Greta Van Fleet. I know they sound like Led Zeppelin and people kick on them a little bit. I dig those guys. I, at least they're, you know, they're keeping some stuff alive. Um, but like just some of my favorite all time bands would be told you Zeppelin. Um, I do like Pearl Jam quite a bit. I'm a big Pearl Jam fan. You know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties. So some of that music still sticks with me. I like their last album quite a bit that's going on. I know that's not Southern Rock. Um, Almond Brothers Band, uh, Government Mule, Warren Haynes, Love Warren Haynes, and one of my favorite bands right now, too, uh, Marcus King Band. And Marcus King, who's a 20-something-year-old wonderkind who can do everything. And if you guys have not checked out Marcus King, his solo album or the Marcus King Band, where he's got a couple albums out, please do so. If you love Southern Rock and rock, this guy kills it. And he, he played with... Um, Chris on As the Crows Fly a couple times right. too when they were right. doing their, their Black Crows cover band. So I was lucky enough to see those guys live in Lexington, Kentucky a few years back. It was awesome. Right on, right on. Yeah, I, I definitely got to uh, get Marcus King in my palate. You know, I'm really, right now I'm like really into uh, the Steepwater Band out of Chicago and of course uh, Magnolia Bayou down in, from Gulfport, Mississippi. And now I'm really getting obsessed with them Dirty Roses. We're in Nashville. They're originally from Gadsden, mm-hmm. Alabama. 
So uh, you got me in a Magnolia Bayou. So, you know, as we right were on. talking, uh, right you know, about this podcast and kind of me looking at what you, you were doing, I started listening to their music. Those kids are great. Actually, the last podcast that you had with them was awesome, too. But not only are those guys really good at what they're doing and kind of keeping the southern rock genre alive with such a young crew, their choices in some cover songs really good as well too so i kind of sure. like kind of like what those guys are doing so i really appreciate you kind of opening the door for me to check those guys out well thank you so uh we had the opportunity to talk to our guest earlier and uh just want you know what can you say about our guest for the listeners uh sean Pittman, blues a texas bluesman currently out of oklahoma and moving on to louisiana uh, I'll tell you something. That guy was awesome. He was really cool, laid back. I told some good stories. He had some good life experiences. You know, I wasn't super familiar with his music prior to kind of learning about him for the podcast, but I dig his stuff. And like, he was super easy to talk to. I, I personally could have spoken to him another hour or so, just old school football and also just his musical experiences and all the people he's run across from the Billy Gibbons is to um, the Gary Clark juniors and everybody else, like just, just to find out more about what he's done for so long and kind of like the, just the stories he has to tell. What did you think? Well, I certainly enjoyed talking to him and just learned so much, you know, he, like we were saying before, he's uh, just got such an interesting history. And like you said, it's just like, you know, just a really cool guy just down home and just awesome to talk to. So definitely would like to, Definitely like to talk to him again. Yeah, that was it was it was it was great, you know, to hear about his ex, his experience with you know playing with Susan Tedeschi. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear a little bit more about that and uh, and Billy Gibbons. And I wanted course. to pry on the Tedeschi stuff when he said what he said said. So for you guys listen to the podcast, you'll pick up on it. But I didn't because I didn't want to go there. But I was like, man, off maybe offline we could t- have a chat about that. <laughs> right, right. And then his uh, having met Billy Gibbons and Billy telling him how to set the, the how to sound like him, how to put the settings on his amp and guitar. That was that was really really cool. And him talking about playing with Hubert Sumlin. And of course, I was really surprised he mentioned the Bay Bayfront Blues Festival in Duluth, Minnesota. And I like I lived there for five and a half years, but that was before I lived there, so I wasn't at that particular festival. But I got a friend that was. I have friends that were, so I'm definitely gonna have to t- chat with them about that. So no, but that guy but, was uh, just super cool, down to earth, really easy to talk to. Like, man, I I could just see sitting around having a beer with that guy and just chatting the night mm-hmm. away. Yep, yep. Well, without further ado, we're going to uh, get into our interview with uh, Mr. Sean Pittman from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, soon to be in Monroe, Louisiana. So everybody enjoy this uh, interview with Sean Pittman. All right, welcome back to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast, episode number 11. Uh, We have a guest here with us, Sean Pittman, originally from Oklahoma. And Sean, it's uh, good to have you here. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I did a little live stream earlier, and uh, I'm trying to fix my acoustic guitar a little bit. Intonation's giving me some trouble, but uh, aside from that, doing pretty good. What have you been doing during the pandemic to in your downtime to keep busy? 
trying to play and learn stuff that I've never been able to do. And kind of what I'm doing now, I decided to play some more acoustic type of stuff because you don't know. Right now, maybe being solo act, maybe may have to do that for a little while. Can't go to Europe, can't go anywhere. Um, hard to play in bars, so I've been doing live streams on Facebook um, and uh, can make a little bit of money through there. Uh, and then um, I got an acoustic guitar and I'm trying to like get good at being an acoustic player, which is completely different than electric. Yes, yeah, so tell us all about your... Oh, my God. Jason and I were talking uh, that you have such an interest, interesting history up to this point, and it started out in Oklahoma. What is Tallahine, isn't it? Is that how I pronounce the town? Tallahina. Tallahina. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it like there growing up? Was there a scene? Uh, what was it like for you as a musician there? Well, I was. I didn't grow up in Tallahina, but I'm proud of being born there because that's where the capital of the Choctaw Nation was at the time in Oklahoma. It's been moved to Durant, but I'm a little bit Choctaw, just enough to to get born for free in the in the hospital in Tallahina. So that's why I'm so proud of it. But I grew up in Cleveland County, which is about two hours south, and that's Noble and Norman, Oklahoma. That uh, gum. I think I forgot what question you asked me. <laughs> Oh, the scene. Well, I didn't. I wasn't really a part of the scene in Oklahoma that much, because when I got to be a teenager, about sixteen, seventeen years old, I started listening to um, the guys down in Texas, and I was hearing Anson Funderburg and Jimmy and Stevie Vaughn and Mike Morgan and Jim Fuller, and and, uh, I was like, well, I want to go down there. And so when I got old enough, really, to be around any particular scene. I was in Dallas, but I do know Mike Hosty. I think he's real good. He's a interesting. He does a one man thing, and he was playing blues back then when I was in around Oklahoma. But that's the only guy I really remember much. Him and Ike Lamb. There's a couple of guitar players I remember, but I really went down to Dallas, and that's where I got. That's where I learned. What was it like? Uh, you went to the Washington School of Performing Arts. How long were you there, and what did you learn? <laughs> well. I learned a major scale. And a, <laughs> That's important. <laughs> and I learned a 13th chord and the names of all the modes, and I think that's it. So um, it wasn't like fame where you got everybody was dancing and singing, performing at all times? Actually, it kind of was, to be honest with you. It, uh, I, I really didn't belong there because they don't accept seniors usually. They want to get you in your freshman and, and work you through your program. And there was everything. There was visual arts. There was uh, there were painters, dancers, actors, um, uh, jazz players, all kinds of players. Um, and it was a music school. Really cool, man. And they only let me in because my friend was a prodigy saxophone player. And they wanted him, but he moved there with me to live with my uncle. So they let me go there somehow. I shouldn't have been. I should have been in there. They put me in the freshman class, and I was playing Jimmy Reed and Albert King. And the guitar teacher came in one day and said, "What do you think this is?" I mean, he was pissed. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't get along. And then we, he finally tried to come over my way a little bit, and he gave me a Gary Moore song to learn. Still got the blues, and that was as close as he could come to me. And I wanted to play Albert King and Jimmy Reed. And so I ended up uh, dropping out with like two months left to go because I, I was playing slide guitar and he got, came by the office, came by the 
uh, I didn't know he was here and he walked by the door and I was playing slide guitar and he came in and said, what do you think would happen if the principal came by and saw you playing slide guitar in here? Okay. So, so they did, they were not really into teaching you the blues or have you focused on the blues and what the store. Okay. Not at so, all. What, what did they want you to do? They wanted me to learn um, Charlie Parker on the guitar and they wanted to, to kind of, uh, um, what do you call it? it groom you for like North Texas, North Texas state. That's like, you know, the musical college that all the, you know, band members that want to do marching band go to. And so I, I just wasn't that way. I didn't want to do that. And I rebelled against that, but I really should have done a better job of trying to learn what he was trying to teach me. Um, because now I could probably use some of that stuff. A couple of those chops, but I don't know. It could have ruined me too. I don't know. <laughs> so you, education, so to speak with your uncle going to uh, schooners jam in Dallas. And what was yeah. that like? I felt sorry for him because he's a doctor and he didn't really like blues. And I dropped out of high school and I wanted to go back to Oklahoma. And he said, no, what will it take for you to stay here? I said, well, I want to play around here. I want to play blues. He goes, well, where can you do that? I said, well, they got jams over here at Schooner. So he took me and we'd stay all night, man. And in the smoky bar, and it would be like right before the bar closed, and they finally would get me up, you know. And uh, I remember, uh, so I got up and played, and I remember everybody cheered and everything, and he was happy. He could see that I was into it and that I was going to do something with it. So he also bet me my guitar against uh, getting a GED. He, he kind of used some psychological manipulations <laughs> on me and said, I bet you can't even pass a GED. I'm like, <laughs> yeah i can i went and did it and kind of glad i did i ended up finishing my degree up here in oklahoma a couple of years ago when i was out of music so i ended up going back to college and stuff later on but uh was that the it pathway that that i i found about kind of researching about you online yeah which i find is a very broad term and i didn't know anything about it so i just took this it course and it was just a general kind of overview of a lot of different things and it really wasn't very specialized and i told the guy i said told my teacher i was like i gotta graduate what can i do with this degree he goes what's your degree i said the it he goes oh this the general it thing yeah we've been trying to get rid of that <laughs> I was like great <laughs> but i went and got some certifications and tried a few jobs and uh the only things that i could really end up getting were these call center jobs and i just can't i'm terrible at that i get nervous at typing and trying to do all that and answer these calls and i couldn't do it and so one job i did uh worked for the school system we go around and fix people's pcs real simple stuff i was okay at that but i couldn't uh there weren't many of those jobs available and i just said screw it i'm back to playing <laughs> sounds <laughs> like you made a good decision i think so yeah that's a i enjoy my work and uh, and I, I enjoy working hard at it even when it's not easy but compared to other things, you know, at least I belong there. I feel like I belong doing music. When you were at Schooners, uh, what what from there did you pick up? Is there anything there that's still part of your style or any particular uh, player, musician that oh, you yeah. still have a connection with? Or Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Sam Myers, and I used to see him and 
you kind of took for granted almost that you could see him at a jam any night of the week when he wasn't on the road with Anson. And that was a blues legend, man. And he was awesome. I enjoyed that. Uh, in particular, a guy named Brian Callaway, also known as Hash Brown Callaway. Um, he uh, was doing a lot of jams and he was a huge mentor for me. Um, so yeah, I saw him play there. Everybody played there, man. And drummers, bass players, Guitar players, I still talk to a lot of folks I met uh, at Schooners. When do you, when your first recording is for Cannonball Records? And uh, what was that experience like? And what was the label like? Um, that was, I, I decided I wanted to make my own record. So I did one and I called it like Blues from Dallas. And then somehow Ron Levy heard about it or heard it or something and he wanted to repackage it and wanted me to sign with cannonball and it was between cannonball and jsp or something and i think alligator said i didn't have enough to say or something but so ron levy took a took a chance on me and i'm glad he did um because i learned a lot from him man he played piano for bb king for 10 years and also was piano player for albert king among other things he started rounder records and so he had a new one called cannonball and i signed up and uh, you know it was a learning experience and he was only there for one record and he had a falling out with the owners and then i was signed to a three record deal so after my first one I had to do another one. Then I wanted to get out of it because they were going out of business. And I was 24 at the time and they wouldn't let me out of it. And so no other label would mess with me because they didn't know if they'd have some contract disputes or whatever. And so here I am, 24, 25 years old, and I'm already in a bad record deal. It was, it was not a very good experience, but that, that part of it wasn't. But um, I got a lot of good out of it. It got me some exposure. It got me... Uh, touring a little bit you know i was able to do some festivals and and just get a little bit of recognition that way so building back on that a little bit you mentioned bb king and some experiences with musicians that play with bb king later on in your career you got a chance to it sounds like open up for bb king did that have any influence on your ability to do that or is that separate um yeah that wasn't related um i think you know somebody from i don't know who it was to this day but somebody sent me an email one time, and I'll never forget. They said, stop telling people you opened up for B.B. King. Somebody owed you a favor. It wasn't because <laughs> of your talent. And I was like, who the heck was that? But the House of Blues just opened up in Houston, and I was going down there and doing gigs while they were trying to get their thing together. And he said he owed me a favor, Anthony Nicolaitis. I think he worked for Live Nation at the time. Uh, and so he called me up one day and said, how about opening up for Mr. B.B. King? I said, are you kidding me? So it was kind of a favor that he did. So maybe the lady was half right. I don't know. But uh, I did it for two nights, and that was awesome, man. I, it was like the highlight of my career, that and playing with Double Trouble. But maybe probably opening up for B.B. King was a little more special. That was awesome, man. Did you have a chance to kind of interact with B.B. at all? Yeah, yeah. Um I got to talk to him a little bit after the gig, and we took a picture, but I, somehow my camera messed up, oh. so I didn't get a picture, but I got to ask him a question. Uh, I asked him how he was able to do this for so long and uh, be successful at it. And I said, what, is there any secrets or any tips? And uh, 
he just said, well, I'm not the most religious guy, but somebody did say, treat others how you want to be treated. And remember, everybody's got a boss. That's what he said word for word, and I'll never forget it. So that was pretty cool. That's good advice that I think anybody can apply about any time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I can look back and wish that I could have done a little bit better about that, uh, at even every day, really. So what leads uh, from Dallas to Austin? Well, if you're going to live in Texas, you might as well. I mean, you got to go to Austin because uh, I was ready to leave Dallas. I wanted to go somewhere else, and I thought, I can't leave Texas. How could I leave Texas without having given Austin a try? So let's go down there. And I stayed 14 years. And the original reason was mainly I had some friends there. A lot of guys from DFW go down there, like Stevie and Jimmy, for example. Uh, Bram Hall, brother. Bram Hall. Doyle Bram Hall. Uh, he's from Fort Worth. Uh, Lou Ann Barton, Fort Worth. Delbert McClinton, Fort Worth. But a lot of those guys go down there. So I had friends down there. And uh, in the, the club, Antone, Clifford Antone, kind of took me in as, I mean, he uh, welcomed me, and so I felt like it was a good place to go, and, and I could learn. There was a better, you know, there's more competition there, and uh, if you can if you can survive there, then you're probably doing okay. So I held my own, you know, but uh, there's a lot of great guitar players down there. Learned what, a lot. What was it like when you got there? Because I've heard you know, one time it was very insular, and now I've heard that it's so, you know, it became popular and, you know, over, oversaturated with musicians. But what what did, what did was it like for you, and did you see a difference from when you got there to when you left? Oh, yeah. Well, when I first got there, it was 99, and um, it was still cheap. It was still, um, you know, it was a real relaxed place, and... And there's lots of places to play and uh, good, you know, community musicians. And um, I guess just people, just more and more people just started coming there. And and then all of a sudden I started noticing all these high rises getting these uh, condos downtown around Congress and stuff. And so downtown started changing. And so people from California, I guess, a lot of people from California moved there and it just started to change a little bit. South Austin was where I like to stay and that stayed pretty much the same. But uh, downtown and stuff, uh, it just changed a lot. So many people came there, and and, and people could, you know, when you go over to Europe, they're like, Texas Blues, uh, Sean Pittman, Texas from Austin. And, and I was like, you know what, I'm not really from Austin, you know. Uh, so I kind of, this is, I kind of was, you know, sort of an outsider, I guess. I've always been an outsider. Uh, and I moved to, to Kyle, which is one county over for a few years. Now everybody I hear is moving there. But it's changed, man, so much. Just too many, so many people, and I mean, nobody really like. It's kind of like Nashville, I guess. Nobody's really from there, but yeah. they like they go there, and you can say you're from Austin, I guess. Well, it really, that scene really grew too. Not only from the music, but there's a lot of from like films, film festivals, and movies and things coming through there, and then also known for the food. So I think just a lot of the stuff that cool things that Austin had, which was really atypical of a lot of Texas, right? Um, it just attract people who normally probably wouldn't be going into that type of geography or really into that scene. So I, yeah. I could see how that really kind of expanded and really kind of probably forced you, maybe some other people to to move out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the time I got a, I was doing a record with Delta Groove out of 
L.A. And so I started kind of going out there a lot. And when that kind of thing fell through and ended uh, and I went back to Austin, I was like, I don't you know, want to take a break from music. My brother lives up here in Oklahoma, Broken Arrow. That's where I'm at now. And he said, why don't you just come home, man? I ain't been home in 20 years. So I moved here and worked for him and just tried to find some other things outside of music, of course. And, and Tulsa area is just wonderful, man. Laid back. It's like Austin used to be, I think. It's like small town vibe. If I want to go to downtown Tulsa, it's 10 minutes away. Uh, it's uh, it's quiet. You know, they don't have as much stuff as Texas does, but uh, I enjoy living here. Uh, musically, I'm kind of an outsider here, too, because I guess <laughs> doesn't matter that I was born in Oklahoma. They, they just figure I'm from somewhere else. So I don't know, man. Uh, I am going in the studio today, so maybe I'll, I'll meet some folks. But there's been some nice musicians, some good players around here. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Does it, bring still, in. does it still um, attract people to the fact that J.J. Kale and Leon Russell kind of put that on the map? Is there still – a pull from musicians to go there if there is i don't know about it um it seems to me to be honest with you uh around here it's very it's the tradition of those guys is still alive i don't know if people have come from other places because of it because here they seem to want to keep everything in the family in oklahoma everything's very good old boy network very closed closed uh, closed in and so they don't let you in over here very easily and and they especially don't like it if you bring up austin uh so i may have rubbed some people the wrong way i don't know so but there's some friends some people are nice to me and stuff but there's no blues scene here there's that what they call the tulsa sound which by definition from the guy that created it jj kale said we were just guys trying to play blues that didn't know how so, my opinion, they're keeping that going pretty good. How has that affected you, like, prior to the, the, to the, to the COVID and all that, for playing there, if you say you don't really like blues? I never played here. I couldn't get a gig here. I could get wow. a gig at this, this little barbecue joint down the road, and I'd, I'd play there and stuff, but they either – there's some blues society here, I think, but they don't ever – I've called them, emailed them and stuff. So they don't get back to me. So, I mean, there's a Tulsa Blues project here where they bring in guys. For whatever reason, they just <laughs> haven't included me. And I'm like, okay. So I just live here. Yeah, that's so that's pretty interesting. You kind of started there. You ended up back in Oklahoma, but you spent some time in Texas. So from a not-so-great blues scene to a really great blues scene back to a not-so-great blues scene, how would you say kind of living in those different geographies, those different areas affected you as a player? Well, you know, playing acoustic by myself has probably uh, been as a result of being here because um, there isn't nobody to play with, really. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Any, they don't know what a shuffle is here. I talked to a guy. I don't mean to diss it, but that's just the truth, you know. Uh there is, oh, wait, you know, T, David Teagarden's a great drummer. He's, he's great. And the Teagarden family is awesome. They're good drummers, and there's good drummers, good players, but I just, they're not, it's not like in Texas where 
you can where there's a lot of them you know there's maybe one you know good you know there's maybe a few cats that like blues here uh very few but there's so much more of it down in in dallas and austin and houston and i'm just used to that so i don't know maybe i got a chip on my shoulder <laughs> so really like your blues playing is a lot more influenced by that your experiences in texas now where you're in oh, Oklahoma, yeah. it's it's broadening your musical uh, palette, right? With trying to play and and learn around an acoustic guitar, then. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and this is a good town for that. The people that work are acoustic guitar players, and uh, you know, so I'll try it, especially during COVID, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I'm. I haven't seen any. They don't play like they play down in Texas, not on guitar. And yep. until you've seen that. If you haven't seen that and you don't know about it, then I guess you don't know what you're missing. And so down there, man, they're just awesome players, man. That, that's why my electric guitar style, actually, my guitar style is Texas all the way. So. so since getting back into it, is there a thought in your mind of going back there? To to Texas? Wherever in Texas? Nah. No. Going to Louisiana. <laughs> yeah right on uh we're moving there uh, in, cool. uh to monroe uh that's okay. where my wife's family is right on. i did i did kind of want to go back but then when i went back and did a record a couple of years ago man i didn't recognize austin and it stressed me out just gave me anxiety driving around it's like this isn't the same and so i really don't want to go back right so you've played with some pretty interesting people we've mentioned a few you got to see Gary Clark Jr. really young. Uh, mm-hmm. What 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 impressions did that give you? Oh, I knew he was going to be great. I mean, he'd come around. I used to be taller than him when I first met him. <laughs> he and his dad, mom and dad, would come, and uh, I remember they'd I'd talk to him at Antone's or whatever. And, and then uh, I remember Gary one time. I played with him on, on Sixth Street. We used to play down there with Uncle John uh, Turner, and uh, he said, man, come on, sit in with me on, on six three. He was probably a teenager still, maybe 17. And he goes, if a star's got time for it. I'm like, give me a <laughs> break, man. Now he's like huge. Of course, I haven't talked to him in a long time. But, yeah, man, I always knew he was going to be great. Uh, uh, great singer, great player. You played with Susan Tedeschi, both opening for her, and you played in her band? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, uh Let's see. Yeah, both of those. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know what that was. We had a relationship a little bit, you know. I was before Derek Trucks, so it was kind of a romantic thing. Uh, no kidding. Bit. Well, yeah, and it got all mixed up, you know, and so it didn't work out too well. <laughs> but did, but for her, but it, things happen how they're supposed to. Yep. And did you play with? them when they were on the Conan O'Brien show mm-hmm. a long time ago. I tried like hell to find that clip on the internet. If you've got a link, send it to us because I'm dying to see that. I haven't seen it. Um, I don't think they have it. She probably made sure they didn't have that or, <laughs> or, or Derek did or somebody. <laughs> they probably don't want to see that, but I wasn't really playing. I was just kind of like just backing her up on doing chords and stuff. And it really wasn't musically what I wanted to do. And, so even, but I was a little bit torn because she was real 
she was where I wanted to be, you know, and uh, I, I remember being in Conan O'Brien and thinking, I don't want to be here. I, if I do want to be here, I want to be here doing my thing. I remember thinking that. Now, I don't know if that's selfish or confident or just wrong, but uh, the drummer said to me, well, why do you want to try to get somewhere where you already are? I said, well, I'm not here. She is. It's not so, your, your music. It's hers. So I, I yeah. get that. Like, you're being honest. I think that's fair. And so, uh, you know, that was really what kind of drove us apart. And then, uh, so all that kind of stuff, you know, career stuff. And I found that I'm much better if I'm, I found my wife, Becky, and I get along great with someone that's not like me. <laughs> that doesn't need to, doesn't need to sing. I want to sing my own songs, play my own songs, do that. And uh, I just, there's this little bit of competition or competitive thing or something that I didn't like, you know, so. What about Hubert Sumlin? You played with him. I got to see him once and I really enjoyed that show. Hubert was awesome. That was some of the best times I ever had in Austin, man. Uh, he was cool. We did like three or four shows. And um, oh, he was a super nice guy and cool player. I learned I learned some stuff from watching him, man. Right on. Uh, we also we were wondering, like, uh, throughout your career, uh, there are specific, uh, you know, clubs or bars that you remember more than others, and are there specific blues festivals that you may have played at that you remember more than others? Any of those shows, any venues or festivals have left a bigger impression on you than others? Um. I loved the Bayfront Blues Festival. That right was the on. first one. That was the first one right I played. On. When did you play there? Because I used to live in Duluth for like five years. Really? Yeah. Uh, Ninety-eight. Okay, yeah, that was before I went. Yeah, it was ninety-eight, and uh, I was supposed to play there this last year, but I got canceled. Right. Okay. So hopefully I'll be there next year. Okay. But um, I love that festival, man. Yeah, it's nice. Chicago Blues Festival. I played that. Uh, when I was the same year, I think when that first record came out and, uh, that was awesome. Um, I love the Europe stuff, man. Uh, Oh, the, uh, Lucerne blues festival in Europe. That's awesome. That is, they treat you like a king there, man. You, you come back to America and you're like, Oh, uh, so what's there? that festival like? Like what's the size of it? Kind of, kind of for all of us, American people don't know anything about Europe. Well, it's it's on this lake in Switzerland, and it's sort of like uh, there's an event center and like a casino and stuff, and then like the hotels like right down the street, and so you're there for a few days, and they give you you play like multiple shows, like one in the casino and then one in the big stage area where uh, you know they fit probably I don't know, look like about five thousand people or so would would, would be in there. And um, it was pretty cool, but they're just hungry for what, you know, the blues. And so that makes you feel good. Um, that um, and just seeing so much of it, they're just, they're just so appreciative of what we do. Uh, it just seemed almost seems unreal, you know, and, uh, um, the, you know, it's just anywhere where they love blues. Uh, they treat you. Treats you, treats you right, but especially over there, man. 
So, you know, kind of bringing up the, the European festival circuit, too. I see you do play a lot or have been playing a lot recently in Europe. Um, why, do, why do you think that is? Why do you think kind of your popularity or opportunities has really been in Europe recently? I don't know. Uh, they like me for some reason and they know me a little bit. And I guess, I don't know. They just, uh, I've been able to play some probably more uh, high profile gigs there. And I don't know exactly why. I ha haven't really toured like I have in Europe, in the States. So I'm sort of unknown in the United States. I'm pretty much am. And I kind of am over there, but more people know of me over there. So I, I guess it's just that they like that Texas style a lot. And with that tradition and lineage from that, they're, uh, they're into the Texas style uh, blues. And so for whatever reason, I guess they just like the way it sounds. Awesome. Go ahead. Go ahead. Also, has that kind of led to your, your new record on your new label, too? Like, you're on a Dutch label. Is that due to your popularity with over Europe? Has it kind of got that that opportunity? I don't know. Um, I think he was the only guy that put it out. <laughs> <laughs> but but he liked uh, – he's cool. Um, he's very, you know, a uh, patriot to the arts and stuff. And, okay. and so I've known him and uh, – I've been out of the game, so my last two records have been on European labels, um, which gets no distribution in the states. And but I guess so. It could be. I mean, maybe so. Maybe he decided that because more people know me there than here, that it'd be a good chance. And the my agent over there, the uh, uh, Ericon Ozdemir, who's a great bass player, and his son is an awesome drummer. Um, it just works out really well. He he he. Uh, he's known about me for a long time, and. Because he used to book, or he still does, he still plays with Memo Gonzalez, who came from Dallas. I knew him from Dallas. And so he was kind of into the Texas thing, and, and I just got to know him throughout the years. Uh, and then uh, ran into him a few times, and then he started booking me. And then sometimes he, he plays with me. And, and I like Eric Conn because he only books things that he likes. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough, went over there last time. He said he knew of a cool studio, and... Uh, we had three days off and I said, let's record or something. So we all went, we went in the studio and did that record and came out really well. I mean, got a really good response from it. And, uh, I, I like it. Love the so studio make, too. Make it right was done in three days. Um, two really. Wow. Uh, we recorded in two and mixed in one. Is that all live takes? Pretty much. Yeah. I think I did. I may have overdubbed a rhythm guitar on a couple, and I think that's that's about it. They're all live. That's why my voice is a little different, because I didn't have time to go back and change every little thing, and maybe sometime that's good. Did the guys you play with in the studio, is that your band that you play out with live? That's what I was telling you about, uh, Ericon and his son. Okay. Yeah, so, he, so it's kind of a one-shop thing when when uh you go over there he books the gigs and he carries the back line he's also the, the road manager and so it's great man it's a lot easier that's probably maybe i've done better performances over there because i haven't had to drive over in the states i gotta drive everywhere man but uh, over there they drive me around and it's a lot you know you kind of feel like 
I don't know. It's feel, feel a little better. I have a question about blues as a genre as music. Do you look at it as more of a genre? Because pe- guys will say, people will say, to play the blues, you've had to go through something traumatic. I mean, is it? Does that have to do with it for you? Is it more than just a genre, or? Uh, that's a deep question. There, um, I don't think that you have to go through something traumatic in order to be good at it, in order to be able to play it. I think that. Uh, I mean, I've never been through anything. I mean, I liked blues before I'd ever really experienced you know a whole you know any any real sorrow compared to some folks maybe some girls or whatever but (laughs) i don't think that it really has anything to do with that i think that maybe in writing your songs maybe lyrically um after you've matured and been through some things you might believe your words a little better you might be able to to communicate them a little bit better um singing wise i think guitar wise um i think if you can play it you can play it the blues i think picks you and if it picks you you just do it and for whatever reason um you can and I, I i don't look at it like maybe we're all manic depressives i don't know but uh that's what joe lewis walker told me he's, he's you know we're all manic depressive but i think um I don't think it makes you a better player. I think you can be in it from anywhere and you don't have to go through a bunch of hard things in order to play it. Right. Uh, trust me, children listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's your advice to future generations. Yes. You don't have to have a, anything bad happen to you. You could still no, play the blues. No, I thought, I thought that you did, you know, back when I was in my early twenties, I thought, you know what? My life's been too easy. Because uh, so, sometimes in reviews they'd say he looks too young to play the blues or he's too pretty to play the blues. I like that one. They'll say that anymore. <laughs> and uh, uh, and so I thought, well, I got to dirty myself up. And so I felt like getting into trouble and drinking and all that stuff was like making me better or something. Or and really, what it did was ruin my career. I was very good at sabotaging myself. I was right on with that. I was fantastic at that. But, uh, you know, I I did some good things, but I look back on my time and, and that question really led me to that. What you just asked me is really, yeah, if you think that you need to go through something really bad in order to play blues right, eh, that's get over that kind of thinking. It won't go, it won't lead anywhere nice. So who in your contemporaries that have been around about the same time as you, same age, who is someone would you, you would could say to us? You got to listen to this guy. You have to listen to this person, this player. Like who? Who would you say like that's like around your level? Like who's someone that that we just have to hear that we well, might not know about? Johnny Moeller. Uh, I don't know if you know heard Johnny Moeller, but he uh, he plays with T Birds a lot, and I he came from Dallas, uh, and he's kind of the leader of us all, really. Um, he was doing this a long time ago and still doing it. Um, of our generation of guys, I can look up to him as the first guy really. And, you know, Mike Welch, uh, Johnny Burgeon, uh, Paul size, um, Paul size played with the red devils, uh, on Geffen that was released in what was 93 or something, which is kind of a cult classic, 
you know, record. Um, those guys, man, are great down in Austin. Uh, I think Johnny still lives down there. Paul lives in Massachusetts. Um, those guys, oh, Dylan Bishop is real good. Um, he's a little younger than me. Um, oh, John Hay, dude, that guy is freaking incredible. He's from Philadelphia, but he moved to Dallas. I think he just moved to Memphis. He plays with John Nemeth now. I think he's only like 18 or something. And the guy wow. is prob- probably the best guitar player I've ever seen. Uh, one of them for sure. And he's only young too. So those guys ought to keep you busy looking them up. John Hay, Paul Size, Johnny Muller, Mike Welch, Johnny Birch. And those are all contemporaries that I think I enjoy playing. I enjoy like listening to. So besides... Uh... Your wife's family is from Monroe. Uh, is there any music going on there? What what city is that that next to? How big is Monroe? It's um, I think it's it's fairly small. I mean, it's a it's probably like forty thousand people or so. Um, it's kind of in the northeast Louisiana, so close to Jackson, Mississippi. Right on. Um, and about five hours from Memphis, about four hours from New Orleans. And, uh, so those are all territories I haven't really been to. So I don't know what to expect. Uh, it may be better, maybe worse. I don't know. As long as there's an airport, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to find some interest in, you know, blues and, and, and looking around Louisiana, but, uh, but I don't know. So, but I can't say that it's any, I mean, it's as good of a chance to be cool there than it is that it is here in Tulsa. So, uh, so it'll be interesting, you know. The Dust My Broom, first song I ever learned is if she ain't in West Memphis, she's in East Monroe. I know. So now I'm going to Monroe. Well, it sounds like it's right in between Memphis and New Orleans. That can't be too bad. No, nah, I think it'll be good. A lot of music in those areas. A lot of cities known for good music. And you may, we may look back on this and say. You were the godfather of Louisiana blues one day. <laughs> you got a chance. Man, if the world's around that long, I don't know. <laughs> That's another <laughs> podcast. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, I don't know. I don't if uh, Jason, if you have anything else for our guest. Yeah, I, I do. If you don't mind, and thanks, Brian. Um, a couple of things, kind of when I was kind of looking at your history, that's kind of stuck out to me. One, it, it sounds like you you had or have a writing partner that's a lawyer, but not really a musician. Can you tell yes. me about that? Yeah, he he was a defense attorney in Texas for uh, at a law firm with a guy named Dick DeGaron. And so he's got all these stories. Uh, he grew up across the street from Billy Gibbons in Houston. So he said he used to hold the needle on the record when Billy Gibbons was trying to learn a lick. And he'd pick it up and put it back, pick it up and put it back. And so they grew up across the street from each other. And I think they're still talking stuff. Uh, and uh, so he has a lot of the same lingo. He would tell me the stuff that they used to, how they used to talk in high school. And for what, for instance, like, uh, man, I'm just trying to maintain. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm maintaining, man. I'm trying to maintain. That's what, that's what he and Billy would say. So I made a song. And so anyway, he decided he wanted to try to write some songs and, I was like, okay, I was just kind of, you know, like humoring him. And, and he gave me some words and I was like, damn, that's kind of cool. Well, maybe I can put this to that. And that's how it started. So he'd start sending me words and this guy's a wordsmith, man. Lawyers are a sure, wordsmith. Yeah. 
and he had everything planned out. He goes, you got to say road like this, road. I said, okay, road. And I would, I, I would, I would make some music to some lyrics he would send me. I would send it to him and he would tell me what he thought of it. And then, uh, I would do it until he liked it. And, and so he was real good for me, man. It was kind of like working with a producer where they make you keep doing it, keep doing it until you get it the way they, they think is, is good. I don't always agree with them, but we probably wrote 20 songs, recorded almost a whole record and two records, I think of his, of his stuff almost. So he's one of two guys, Bracken Hill, the other is my friend from Oklahoma. And he's written some stuff for me too. And, um, but yeah, Lewis, man, Lewis Dixon's his name. And, and he has got some stories, man. So, but, uh, yeah. Well, did you make sure too, that all the contracts and things were done too? Cause that guy's going to know how to get all your songwriting. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, we, he said, we set it up to where, uh, he's got a BMI account and I got one too. So he's, we, we go, you know, he's writes some and 50, 50 on them. And yeah, it's, uh, but he's a good guy to have in your corner. Uh, oh, sure. Especially if but, somebody comes at you, right? He can yeah. to defend you. <laughs> right. I, I learned the term. If you feel like you're in uh, imminent danger of uh, bodily harm or something like that, <laughs> I always ask him about stuff. But, uh, yeah, man. So that song, Lean and Load, is uh, on my Edge of the World record. That was uh, – he wrote those words, and – and it's about when B.B. King came and visited Billy Gibbons in an emerald green Cadillac. And he said those big, long Cadillacs, they called them loads. Look at that leaning load, man. So that's Speaking of Texas blues, though, like Billy Gibbons, right? Like that's, I mean, even though he made a, a little bit more mainstream rock, but that guy is a, a bluesman. Oh, yeah. I met him a long time ago, and I didn't believe it was him. And I don't think he remembers me. But he came up to me and said, man, I've been waiting a long time to see something like this. And I was like, really? Is that really Billy Gibbons? And sure as heck was. He stayed after the show. This was probably 25 years ago. Uh, he stayed after the show and, and got my guitar and my amp. He goes, here's what you want to do. Turn them all, start all over with them. And then he, like, turned the bass up and treble down. And then he on my Strat, he goes, this is the pickup you want to use. He put it on the bridge pickups and leave it there come back on your tone knob and i can get it he said this i, I can get a sound out of a walkie-talkie but i don't know wow. if he remembers <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good story that's cool yeah i remember it. He, he also said you want people to feel it here not here so now i'm paranoid about too much trouble <laughs> well it doesn't sound like his recommendations on your setup really carried over to a lot of your recorded music though because it's certainly not the same tone no it's not although on this latest one i did have that a little bit more in mind i was thinking about that kind of that warm warmer distorted you know sound that just in the middle there you know where it's not too distorted and still a little bit clean that's the holy grail for, for the blues guitarists, I guess, is to find that perfect amount of, of overdrive and cleanliness and, just, and that's your tone. Excellent. Well, I have to give a shout out to your publicist, Doug Deutsch, who hooked me up with this, hooked us up with this. In, I talked to uh, another one of his guys, uh, Jeff Fetterman from up in Pennsylvania, 
So that's a good thanks to Doug and thank you, Doug. Yeah, he's sending some other stuff our way. So well, that's uh, great. I like him. I've worked. I've, I've enjoyed working with Doug. And uh, I t- when I talked to him, I was like, I haven't been in the game in a while. He goes, Well, man, you need a car. We'll get your car back in the race. And I'm like, all right. I feel like he's got me back in the race. You know, I like right. I like Doug's. Right on. Right, Jason. You got anything else? Uh, no, that's it. It was actually really great talking with you. I appreciate you spending some time with, with me and Brian here. Oh, man, anytime. I'm, I'm honored and glad that you guys were interested enough to, to ask me a few questions. So it was nice to meet you both, Brian and Jason. And, uh, yeah, anytime you want to hit me up on Facebook or whatever, I'd be happy to message you. Will do, and I may be heading down to Tulsa at some point once the COVID world opens back up. If you're still there, I will hit you up because I want, I want you to take me to those Tulsa Blues places that you're going to find. All right. All right. You got it. Uh, we really appreciate you being on and wish you all the luck in the world there, you know, from Broken Arrow to Monroe. And we really, really appreciate you being on. And we always ask if it's okay if we, uh, at the end of the episode, we play out, you know, with the artist song. Is there anything in particular that we can play out with? Or um, I don't know what you have. If you got my newest one, I guess. Uh, oh, done told you so. It's pretty cool. That's the first one on there. I like it. Right on, right on. I got it from my granddad. I used to joke around with my granddad, and I'd say, "You don't tell me," and he'd say, well, "I just got through telling you." And then, <laughs> and then Lewis done told you so. Lewis came up with that some of that too. So yeah, done tell you so. I cranked that on Amazon Music a couple times here recently. I really dig it, and you do have a little bit of some different sounds on that album. That I think you've typically had to. You one of your songs is like, and I, I know you're trying to close this out, Brian. Sorry, but now we're talking here. Um, for right now, like like a little bit of a poppy sound, and there will be a day is a little bit like a almost like a dancey thing. It's catchy, or I can see people kind of tapping their toes and getting after that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find that kind of uh, balance between being able to write uh songs that are my own and not really any specific genre but i try to draw from everything i play is from the guys i learned from but i do sometimes have the tendency to write a song and it's just a little bit different you know and i decided to put for right now on there uh, a little bit of a soul direction um and less guitar hero uh type of thing um i'm kind of a less is more guy anyway but yeah, yeah, that's what. But uh, that was uh, that was interesting. You pointed that out. I, I, I was I wanted to put that on there. I wanted to sing the whole thing in falsetto, but they wouldn't let me. So. <laughs> it's the next yeah. album. Maybe so. Maybe it, maybe my falsetto needs some work. <laughs> That'll be that Louisiana blues that you create. It'll be all falsetto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, anytime we can keep uh, talking about music, we'll go all day. But uh, once again, we thank you. Sean, for being on, and we definitely want to do this again with you. It was totally a blast. It was fun. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jason. You guys have a great week. All right. And, uh, stay safe. All right. You do the we'll same. Thanks, later. man. Take later. care. Bye-bye. Well, that was our interview with Sean Pittman, uh, one we uh, definitely enjoyed, and we'll love to have him on again. Uh, what else can we say, you know, that we didn't, uh, you know, mention in the intro that, you know, this are, you know, first of all, is very cool, the first uh interview with someone with you as the co-host and that was really cool for me and i enjoyed uh, your points that you made and 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 doing that interview with them 
Yeah, Brian, thanks. No, it was great. I, I worked really well um, for us kind of talking back and forth and for me to pick up on some of the things that you were saying. Again, talking with Sean was fantastic. He was just so easy to chat with. And there are definitely a lot more stories that we can mine out of him. Um, if we get a chance to talk with him again one day, one, I'm going to ask him if he ever created that Louisiana blues sound that we alluded to and if it is in falsetto. <laughs> And then really dig into his experiences with Europe, because it sounds like Europe really has a, an appetite for a, a Texas blues, which I find interesting. But really, like, why that is, what his experiences in Europe are, and kind of just a little bit more into that scene. I, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, you hear about uh, audiences in Europe, how appreciative they are of all kinds of music, and it's very cool to to see how much they are into blues. And a lot of times when I'm looking at uh, a blues artist schedule where they're playing this, they're, they're over there a lot. A lot of the, a lot of the blues musicians are over in Europe a lot. So we'll definitely have to get uh, back into that. So I hope everybody enjoyed the issue or the episode. Sorry. Hope everybody enjoyed that episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing the next one with you, Jason. So absolutely always remember Southern rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
You know I done told you so It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 